Welcome to the She He We Awakening podcast. We are a wife and husband therapy team whose professional and personal lives are centered on psychology and spirituality. We love sharing what we've learned on our journey of becoming conscious through relationship, and we invite you to get to know us and hopefully hear in our stories something that can support you in your life too. Hello, my love. We meet again. Yes, hello. <laughs> Today we are going to answer a question that came in. We've been getting questions, and this seemed like a good one to do a short chat on. Okay, so here's the question. I have heard that you can't really have a relationship with an alcoholic, a person who's alcoholic. And I see the truth in this. But how is that unconditional love? Is there a way to love someone who is sometimes mean and terrible to you? A way to love them that is also safe for you and not harmful? Great question. Mm -hmm. Where would you like to begin with that? I think if you can share some of your lived experience, that it would be very helpful. Okay. And I can talk a little bit about my minimal experience with this as well. Well, um, my lived experience with this is um, having grown up in a family um, with a number of of, uh, alcoholics and uh, drug addicts um, who people within my family who struggled with alcohol and drug addiction off and on at, at various times. Um, and for most of that time, um, I was not in therapeutic work. I wasn't working with people on their relationships. Um, I was in a completely different field. So I didn't have a lot of the background, the training, um, the therapeutic experience, um, the life experience, et cetera. So I, I guess another way of putting it is that um, when I was living through most of this, um, I had the same question. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that question was still something that was sort of alive within me and I was um, managing uh, to the best of my ability as were others in my family. Um, I mean, this was an open thing within my family. So it's not like it was just me dealing with it. Um, and there were conversations, interventions, treatment programs, kind of the whole the whole thing. So um, I've kind of seen it from every angle. Um, mm-hmm. And you know there there is a lot of conventional teaching that that people can tap into, um, you know, with groups like Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, specifically, there's a group called, um, Al-Anon, which is Alcoholics Anonymous for the non-alcoholics in relationship with <laughs> the alcoholics, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's support group and meeting and training for um, for those who are in relationship with alcoholics on on how to best go about that. Um, so there are groups out there tackling this question, this issue, um, helping people sort through it. I'm sure we'll provide additional reading and resources like we always do. Um, so that's that's the brief intro, I guess, in terms of my my lived experience. And, and um, what I can say now about that is that I, I think in, in my experience, the, the biggest thing to move beyond is this idea that um, loving someone means sacrificing your own health and wellness for them. Mm. And that's difficult, I think, for a lot of people, 
um, because of the dynamics of loved ones, relationship, family, whatever it might be. Um, that's a difficult thing to hear because we want to support um, and have hope for the addicts in our lives. Um, so it's difficult on an interpersonal front. And it's also difficult, um, I think, in large part because it, it can fly in the face of the a lot of the conventional, um, let's call it Western Judeo-Christian uh, teaching mm, yeah. on this issue, mm -hmm. um, specifically in, in my experience with this, the, the Christian teaching of uh, being of service mm -hmm. um, and what that means and what that looks like. And then of course, Christians, um, the, the central figure of Christianity, Jesus, who Christians worship, mm -hmm. um, gave his life for the rest of humanity, right? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, he's held up as a model. This is who we are working to emulate. This is who you should strive to be like, right? And so then all of a sudden yeah. that becomes, well, you know, if, if Jesus could literally give his life for everyone, then, you know, I can suck it up and um, get the shit beat out of me in a bad relationship. And I, I, yeah. I mean, I meant that actually metaphorically, but for many people, that's going to be mm -hmm. literal who, who have suffered actual physical abuse at the hands of um, an alcoholic or a drug addict. So um, I think the longer explanation in terms of why it's okay to do that, how to do that, et cetera, is maybe beyond the scope of, of this chat. I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit, but but at least I think introducing that up front that um, we need to say that um, taking care of yourself does not mean you don't love someone. Mm -hmm. and, and that loving somebody and uh, being in a enmeshed, codependent, um, what's the alcoholic specific term? I'm having a brain moment. Um, uh, for when we support somebody in their habit. Oh, there's a word. You're right. <laughs> enabling. Enabling. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, codependent or Should enabling relationships, <laughs> right? That, yeah. um, that, that love is not the same thing as enabling and that being of service doesn't necessarily require the kind of massive self-sacrifice that, that Jesus made. Um, and in fact, we could say that, that unless you are convinced that you are Christed, enlightened, supreme as a being in the same way that Jesus was, that you probably shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that Why do you that, want to be a messiah? <laughs> that, that's right. That, that and, and if you are convinced that you're in that place, then that's a whole separate conversation <laughs> to have with somebody. Right. <laughs> right. So there's, yeah. there's lots of holes in, in that idea. Um, I mean, one of the biggest holes is that if you continue with the Christian tradition, the Christian teaching uh, about Jesus and what he did, it was a one-time deal. You're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there's that. If you so, you're going the other direction. Yes. On the one hand, if you want to do that, then you're yes, you're going to die. Are you prepared to do that? Yeah. If, if you really not, want that, <laughs> if you're not, give it a second thought. Yeah. If you if you're telling yourself you are, then Google martyr complex or or messiah complex and take that seriously. <laughs> but 
but before you go that direction, I was going to go the other direction, which is that the actual Christian teaching is that what Jesus did was done for all time. Mm-hmm. That's it. He, you don't have to he, do it again. If you're a Christian, he was the Messiah. He did the yeah. suffering so that you don't have to. That was the whole right. point. Yeah. So you continuing to suffer needlessly is sort of like throwing it back in his face a bit and going, well, I think you did a pretty good job, but let me, <laughs> let me, let me just take care of the rest here. <laughs> so this is, this is not high level yeah. theology we're engaged in here. No. We're, we're, we're summarizing and um, doing our best to just make a point, um, which is that, that these are some of the common um, conflicts that people hold within themselves that keep them from frankly, showing up and honoring themselves. Yeah, absolutely. In these, in these relationships. Yeah. I marvel sometimes at the fact that I did not end up in a relationship like this Mm. because of the strength of my need to be a good person and show up as a, a savior, rescuer, et cetera. Right. I also didn't grow up with anyone who was overtly addicted or alcoholic. The people in my family will often have a glass of wine every night, but it's one glass. It's never in secret. Mm-hmm. It doesn't create um, problematic behavior. There aren't outbursts. There aren't car crashes. Um, and there isn't a lot of conflict related to the consumption of the alcohol. Right. So I guess I didn't have that as my norm, you know? Right. Right. So. Um, the first part of the question, um, Mm -hmm. read that again. What was that first part? I have heard you can't really have a relationship with an alcoholic and I see the truth in this, but how is that unconditional love? Okay. Um, yeah. What's your take on that? My take is, you know, people's definition of a relationship is very uh, personal. So I, I believe and still believe that I have, a, I can have a relationship with a multitude of people and those, and that relationship can prohibit me from seeing them in real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. I could have a telephone conversation with a relationship with them. We could have a text relationship um, or we can have a relationship in which I only see them very infrequently. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't eliminate the concept of relationship for me. Uh, you know, I've come a long way in this. You've seen me come a long way um, where, you know, before I would tolerate a lot of abuse, um, emotional and verbal abuse mainly, and not be able to um, remove that person from my life or, or distance myself from them appropriately. Yes. And in part, you know, being in relationship with you has, because of your nice firm boundaries mm-hmm. that you do not back down on, um, I have learned how to be more appropriate with my boundaries. So for me, if I was in a relationship with someone who was in addiction or um, was an alcoholic, the first thing I would need, honestly, is a more education on what that's like, not having gone through that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really think you got to go to the experts for that. So like you said, Al-Anon, I mean, I actually did do some research on this because I was concerned that I would encounter people or I was already encountering people in my professional practice who were struggling with addiction and alcoholism. I had no idea what that looked like. What are the symptoms? How do you know? And 
you could always put, you could always point out these people and say, oh, that person looks like they're high or this person seems drunk. And I'm like, they did. I don't know. They felt off to me, but I don't know. I wouldn't have said that was heroin or cocaine, right. you know, but you got very, you were very good at noticing that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, should, should I be in a relationship like this? I would be very educated on how to be in relationship with an alcoholic or a drug addict. And I'd have to go to uh, groups for that. I might need to seek therapy for that. And I might need to research books to understand how to navigate that. Cause you really can learn a lot through people who've been through this firsthand, you know, themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. I yeah. kind of rambled there, but basically I would need to educate myself. So I would know how to be in a, in a healthy relationship with someone with an addiction. Yeah. I think that practical piece of it, um, can't be, uh, overstated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, that, it, that, it, that it's a skill that can be learned. Um, and then there's the philosophical, theological, spiritual side of that question, which is the piece about unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I mean, that's where I started with this. Um, it's essentially what I was talking about, but, um, we confuse, unconditional love again with with martyrdom um and and they're not the same thing um there sometimes seems to be an overlap and and you can see examples of people who through their unconditional love um choose a relationship or a life that we might from the outside say is less than ideal, less than optimal, mm-hmm. um, maybe not the healthiest thing. Maybe we look from the outside and say, you could, you could leave this dynamic or go and do something else and, and be happy and take care of yourself. And that that's absolutely can be true. Mm-hmm. But what we can say about the people who, where there is this overlap between unconditional love and what might look like martyrdom is that to the person who can do that authentically, it's not martyrdom. Mm. It's not self-sacrifice. It's not suffering. That that's the paradox is that the only way to really, I think, be able to do that authentically, um, that, that, that isn't being driven by our own misperceptions and, and our own trauma or complexes, like our need to go save the world, for example. Um, the only way to, to actually do that in a healthy way is if we can do it and actually not be suffering in it. That doesn't mean it's easy, right? We might go, yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult. And you see this with, you know, um, let's use a less um, addict-oriented example, like someone who cares for their uh, significant other who is ill or, yeah. hand, or handicapped, somebody who becomes paralyzed or is, is injured or, mm-hmm. or something like that. And that person says, I mean, yeah, life's different. It's hard. Um, there's a lot that goes into the care. There's a lot that we were going to do that we can't do. There's a lot that I had planned that I can't do. But never for a moment did I think I'm going to leave my partner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's such a peace and ease <laughs> with, with mm-hmm. that in those situations. Um, that uh, that this idea that one one is sacrificing something actually sort of dissolves. It's mm-hmm. it's just no. This is just 
what's here. This is just what life has put in front of me. And this is what I choose to do because this is actually what makes me happy. Um, it, I'm not doing this despite um, the conditions, right? I'm not, I'm not choosing this when I would rather be choosing something else. Um, this is, this is what I choose. And if we can do that authentically, so that's, I just wanted to sort of set the energetic scene there. Now take it back over to the realm of being in relationship with an addict. If you can be in relationship with an addict in a way that, that doesn't cause you pain, mm -hmm. great. Mm. Wonderful. Good for you. I if have you have a caveat to that though. I, I'm sure I know. Sure you do. I, <laughs> I, I, I do too. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I knew mm. you'd be good for that part. Um, so if you can do that, great with an asterisk. Um, if you can't do that, that's also okay. Again, that to me, that's the big message here. Having lived through a lot of these relationships. Mm -hmm. If you try to be in relationship with an addict and um, you can't do it, then that's really, really important. Mm. Let, me, let me put it one other way, because the question was phrased in terms of unconditional love. Right. If we're not equipped to do this, if the dynamic isn't right, if it's not appropriate, if it's not healthy, and we, out of a sense of, I'm supposed to be unconditionally loving, so therefore I'm going to sacrifice myself to be in relationship with this person. If we do that, we're just going to be in more pain and more uh, resentful of the person and dealing with constant difficulty in the relationship. In other words, it's not gonna look at all like unconditional love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so my message to people with this is unconditional love is not a hat that you can put on. And nor should you, nor should you try to. Right. Right. If you if if it doesn't fit in a given moment or relationship, then it's not a hat. It's an anchor and it will absolutely drag you to the bottom of the ocean. Yep. And so we need to let ourselves off the hook that that if that if that unconditional loving movement to to go into relationship isn't there, you don't have to force it. And it's not just that you don't have to. You can't. It is impossible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can't just choose to be unconditionally loving. You can practice it, but I think a lot of that practice has to start with being unconditionally loving to ourselves. If you can't even give yourself permission to be happy and healthy, how are you going to do that for somebody else? So you had a caveat. I did, because in your comparison of a person who takes care of a person who's paralyzed and a person who takes care of someone who's an addict the difference is if you leave the paralyzed person alone and let them hit rock bottom they die and if you leave an addict alone and you let them hit rock bottom maybe they die or maybe they get well finally mm -hmm. so sometimes the most loving thing that you can do i learned this from you and from your parents mm -hmm. is to allow that person to struggle and suffer and you cut off the resources of that you're giving them, which can include money, yep. housing, and it can include contact. Yep. So you cut off the enabling, you cease the enabling. Right. And, and so I'll take it back to a personal example. Yes, I absolutely agree um, with, with what you said. Um, and just for the record, I, I didn't intend for the 
the disabled person and the alcoholic to be a one-to-one. It was more, yeah. uh, right, an example of um, these kinds of dynamics where actually I meant that to be, here's where it would be appropriate, <laughs> right? Sure. Um, to do that. Um, so the personal example is, um, so one of the alcoholics in my family was my older brother who died of liver failure about 10 years ago. Um, and we, many years ago, we had a, a couple interventions with him, one, one or two big ones. Um, you know, he kind of went in and out of treatment a couple times. But the biggest one that we did um, that, that took a lot of family planning and energy um, and was absolutely an expression of unconditional love, right? Us showing up for him in the best way knew, we knew how. Um, ended up getting him convinced to um, go into a treatment program, and he did. And without getting too specific, um, not not everyone in the family was well equipped to stick to the plan mm. and and to um, honor the new boundaries that were being set and. Uh, withdraw all of the enabling that is typically required for, as you suggested, for somebody to actually get better. Mm. And and there was a there was a period of time. Uh, I mean, very very brief <laughs> a period of time where where it looked like maybe he had the ability to come out of this. Um, and of course, then all of the mechanisms kick in and the old codependencies and everything. And and the long story short is he was given some leeway hmm. um, where he shouldn't have been and, and the whole thing fell apart. Wow. Um, and he was back to drinking, I mean, within days, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and, you know, years later died of liver failure. Hmm. Um, so, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't do him any favors <laughs> by, by, unconditionally loving him in a way that meant okay yes this is hard so yes you can have some of this money or have some of this or a place to stay or or whatever or okay well just this once or any of that kind of acquiescence um really of our own boundaries i mean that's that's the point is it every one of those was an acquiescence of our own boundaries mm -hmm. and and his best chance for for healing would have been for us to really all hold the line very firmly on those boundaries um, and get him to that place of, all right, there's, there's nobody else here to help me out of this. I've got to, I've got to do it myself, um, which is that place that all addicts have to get to at some point. Right. Right. Um, so again, <laughs> what do you mean when you say unconditionally loving, right? Like, is that just a hat you can put on? No. And, and does that mean unconditionally loving for like the five minute span that you're having an interaction where an addict is begging for things that are really just a part of the addictive personality? Yeah. And so to be unconditionally loving is to give them what they need for the next five minutes or is right. to be unconditionally loving to take all of that away with the hope that they'll find the resources within themselves to get better. So it's, it's totally arbitrary to, to lock ourselves into this idea that unconditionally loving means um, being enabling or self-sacrificing or, or having our own boundaries annihilated in relationship.
I think part of what, what's difficult for myself in this, um, when I think about maybe not relationships with the addicts, but relationships with people who are hurting me or abusing me in some way, is that there can be a lot of cognitive dissonance about the person that they sometimes are really wonderful and, and then just every so often terrible. Mm-hmm. And it makes it very hard to change the dynamic or improve the dynamic or separate oneself from that person because there is good and bad mm-hmm. and at, you know, kind of arbitrarily deciding you know, where to draw the line of like, well, you've gone too far. And you know, in, for me in relationships, it usually takes a large um, <laughs> transgression for me to say, well, we're done. Yes. And then I'm really good. I'm like, we can walk away forever for that matter. Yeah. Um, but it takes a lot of these little things for, for my, I know for myself, but also for other people. Yeah. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Well, I think that um, like, there's nothing wrong I think with what you just described, there's nothing wrong with sort of not having a single rigid boundary and the first time it's crossed, like that's it, game over, we're done here, right? Yeah. That in fact, we might not even know what that boundary is or where to place it until people do some of this tiptoeing back and forth across it. And that's in fact how we define it. We go, oh, thank you for helping me map that out. Mm-hmm. I know now that you've done all of this dancing around my boundary zone, I, I now know exactly where it is. Um, and even then that boundary zone might have some flexibility in terms of um, frequency of crossing, right? Um, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody deciding that for themselves. Mm-hmm. In other words, I don't think there's any one right way to do that, except <laughs> I think the, 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 to the extent there is a single right way to do that, it's by always honoring yourself first, which is different than honoring some abstract sense of what you should be doing based on what you've heard a psychologist say, or your family has told you, or you read in the Bible, or you heard preached (laughs) about, right? Um, So if our source of direction for how to be in relationship is coming from outside of us, that's definitely the wrong way to do it. Yeah. Okay. That's what I think. Now we might look to those outside us for help, just like this chat, Mm -hmm. (laughs) hopefully will be for, for people, a resource that is outside of them. But here we are in this external resource telling people that the only way you can really do this is by figuring it out for yourself. Um, But you have to give yourself permission to do that. And if you're always worried about you know, adhering to some Christ-like state of being, um, holding yourself to that standard, um, or, or maybe thinking that even if you can't hold yourself to that standard, you're at least supposed to try because that's what your religion tells you or your politics tell you or your mm-hmm. family tell that it's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and I think to add to that, um... A lot of people who find themselves on the other end of this addiction codependent connection where there's one person who's enabling and one person who's addicted. Um, People who are on that side are often people who are very altruistic by nature, 
mm-hmm. or really trying to be helpful. And unfortunately, I think what I've learned for myself is that a lot of times I'm actually not equipped <laughs> to help. <laughs> um, I don't have the skill set to help some of these things. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't been trained. I don't have enough lived experience. And, and that takes humility to, to recognize mm-hmm. I'm not the one for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, in family relationships, that's a little different. I know the person who wrote this and she's speaking about someone who's in her family um, and is a close relative and, and trying to navigate how, how do you... Um, have a relationship with someone who every now and then is just terrible to you just so totally cruel yeah it's it, difficult it, it is it's very difficult and it's also again it's very very personal mm-hmm. in terms of how one answers that question i just i think to me the rails to stay on as we navigate that is am i honoring myself and am i checking in here with how to do this as opposed to trying to match this to some external abstract standard. Um, but then it's incumbent upon us to, to decide. And, and, you know, I, as, 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 as good at this as I, as I was when you and I met because of my, my history growing up, um, and as good as I'd been about this in a lot of ways, there were subtle ways um, that I still needed to learn about it. And, and I still, to this day, I can actually still remember sitting in the car with you and having a conversation. It wasn't even about an addict. It was literally somebody that I'd been friends with. And it's like, I got a message from this person wanting to meet. And, and I was like, right. Like just super not interested. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and yet talking about like, oh, so-and-so wants to be, and you were like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you hanging like, out with that person? Do you get anything out of this relationship? Like, yeah. is it offering you anything? And I'm like, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> yeah. Like, so what are you doing? Good yeah. question, right? Yeah. And that was like a final piece of this that, that clicked in for me. Um, just how true this is at all levels of relationship all the time, not just in very close personal relationships with addicts mm-hmm. that, that we're, we're not doing anyone any favors by being in relationship out of pity. Yeah. Or, or responsibility or yes. spiritualized ego or sacrifice or any, yeah. yes, any of those things. Like it's just, it's, it's not healthy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. It's, we're not doing ourselves any favors. We're not doing them any favors. Um, it's okay for relationships to end mm-hmm. when they cease to be a source of mutual joy and growth. And that includes family. Yeah. Um, that's the hard one. And that's um, because there's still so much tribal energy that we collectively have as a species um, to make us into animals, um, (laughs) um, that, that, that's been a part of, of what has driven us and what has, what has organized and oriented our psyches for a long, long time. Um, and it has a lot of good that comes with it. And it has a lot of bad that comes with it, like any perspective, Mm -hmm. um, no perspective is perfect or, or right per se. But certainly we can look around the world and say that much of what's going on 
um, has to do with, um, we have reached peak tribalness. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's nothing else to do with the tribal level of consciousness that needs to be done. <laughs> um, it doesn't mean we leave all the good stuff behind. We bring that with us, but clearly um, when you sort of look around at, at the di social dynamics and things that are happening in the world and you study a little bit of, of, of human consciousness, it's, it's pretty easy to see what we're trying to do is actually grow beyond pure tribalism mm -hmm. where, where, where tribe or family comes before your own well-being, right? Which is essentially the, the definition of tribalism, right? It's 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 that the, the tribe is an organized unit is the highest priority, and it's about the collective, not about the individual. Um, yeah, yep. So so yeah, I think people run into that a lot with this as well. That especially if it's somebody in their family that there's an obligation, there is not. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, maybe accepting if it's your child, but, but even then that, that ceases to be true past a certain point. Right. When they have reached maturity and, and are not literally dependent on you. Right. Yeah. For their safety and survival. Right. I, I think that's a trap that um, people get caught in mm. thinking that their 35 year old <laughs> child, you know, they're still right. technically still dependent. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to give a lot of different resources of things that I've read that I found useful as a person who didn't have a great grasp on addiction, both from a therapist perspective and also from the perspective of someone who has an addiction. Um, maybe you have some resources too. And there was a really lovely podcast that I listened to again um, the you can do we can do hard things podcast with Glennon Doyle. Uh, Glennon is an alcoholic and a bulimic and a um, drug addict who has been in recovery for 20 years. And she and her sister talk about navigating the relationship between sisters and being able to um, Amanda, the sister, she talks about, how she protected her relationship with Glennon with very firm boundaries so that there was a relationship to have mm. when Glennon got clean. That's a great way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we didn't really necessarily answer that specific component of this, um, mm. but you point to it with that statement. And one of the parts of the question was, you know, can you really be in relationship with an addict? And to me, the answer is no, you, you mm. can't. Um, you can, you can shadow dance, <laughs> you know, you can, you can fence with your various complexes and demons and codependencies and, and all of that stuff, but, um, it's not really a healthy functional relationship. Um, yeah, because when they're using, they're using their chemical, their yeah. brain is not functioning normally. Yeah. So personal example there again, um, you know, people, um, and, and I'm grateful for this, of course, like they, they hear that my brother died, you know, I mean, he was younger than I am now. I think he was 42. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was, you know, early 30s. I'm like, gosh, that's so sad, so tragic. Yes, all of that. And because of the liver failure, like he literally couldn't take a sip of alcohol. Like he had no liver function. So like even a single 
sip sip of alcohol would just throw his body into complete chaos and come close to killing him. Yeah. Right. So he got sober. <laughs> so he spent the last, I forget how long it was now. Um, I don't know, maybe six months of his life sober for the first time. I mean, since maybe he was like 12, something like that. Wow. Um, and I got six months of an actual relationship with my brother for the first time in my life. Mm. That's, that's the only relationship I really had with him. Mm. You know, in, this is in retrospect, of course, right? right. Prior mm. to that, there was just him and, and his addiction. And, you know, I have some fond memories and some not so fond memories and uh, of, of being younger and of him in his younger years before the addiction really sort of, you know, took over. Um, but nothing compared to, to that six months of, of him being completely sober um, and being able to show up and be in relationship in a way that, that he'd never been capable of. I mean, I'd, I'd take those six months over another 10 years of what we had before, which was really nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're, I think, I think that, su that suggestion that um, Glennon's partner made, um, I think is, is spot on that, that if we really actually want to have a relationship with an addict, it requires their being sober. Yeah. And, and not allowing them to ruin it. <laughs> That's right. you know like don't let the person destroy your trust so much and your fond feelings for them so much that when they do get sober yeah. you won't have anything to do with them because you're like i i can't i have no more capacity yeah or i can't let you near me yeah 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 i thought that was a really powerful something incredible that they did in their in their sisterhood mm-hmm so I think that's enough for this topic, but I'll make sure to um, put a lot of resources that I can find um, and have encountered. Yes, and um, if anybody else has any questions um, similar to this that they're pondering, please continue to send those in and we'll continue to do little chats like this. Mm -hmm. Okay, see everybody next time. 